This is a podcast of the Church of Indian Lake. And then you can go to green, and then you can go somewhere I've never been, which is black. And then there's something called black diamonds. And at each, you know, when every color increases, the risk increases. So it's more exciting, and it's more challenging, and it's more exhilarating. But at the same time, it's more dangerous to be on a blue or a black slope. Well, I want to tell you that today we're getting off the bunny slopes because we are going to talk about some subjects that uh, are a little bit dangerous and risky, uh, but it's not going to be boring. And I want you to think, I want you to learn, I want you to actually discover uh, how the scripture can apply to your life. And so as we start the new series called your questions, his answers. Today, as you see in your bulletin or you see on version, we're dealing with the complicated question of this. If I divorce, can I remarry? And this, this question is one that uh, really applies to all of us because uh, a lot of us have been through divorces or all of us have been affected by divorces. And there's a couple of extremes that always happen here is there is... Uh, those who use the Bible to um, condemn and to, legal, to be so legalistic, uh, there's, no, there's no room for exceptions or understanding. And then there's others who totally disregard the Bible as if to say that we're able to make up our own rules. I want to just say, first of all, I want to make a few disclaimers. I'm just going to ask you, first of all, to not take any one statement that I make as a soundbite and use it against me. Uh, that's what they do in politics, and that has happened to me several times in my ministry where someone will get offended and upset and leave the church. When I find out, they'll say, this one statement you made, and without it being in the whole scope of the message, that statement alone, I would disagree with. Uh, but I-, I want you to be open-hearted and open-minded when it comes to that. I also want you to know this, is that I am very much... When I compare myself to other ministers that I talk to and that are in practice, I consider myself very much an anti-divorce, pro-marriage person. Uh, And you wouldn't know that unless you've dealt with circumstances that I've been in. I'm not going to sit here and tell you a bunch of stories, but I work with families and I work with marriages on a regular basis. And I'm always doing everything I can as a pastor to promote marriage and make divorce very hard or very difficult Uh, to enter into. So having all that, having said some of these disclaimers, I want us to go to Deuteronomy chapter 24. And the first type of people we're going to spend a lot of time talking about is the easiest type of people to talk about. And it's going to help us contextualize this message is them. We're going to talk about who was it that was that these, these key scriptures on divorce we're going to look at. Who were these people And what were they thinking when they received this message? This is really important. And God's grace is going to be upon us today. Our prayer team have been praying about this message. And as I enter into this message, you know, I want to put you at ease because I want you to hear God's heart on this. That is not my intention to make anyone feel guilty. I want us all to see God's truth. And as a community, as a faith community that we are, to try to get God's perspective and that way, that will, that will help us in our, our choices in the future. 
So the key verse in Deuteronomy uh, that I think summarizes uh, a lot of the Hebrew and Jewish uh, instruction on divorce, we, we can look at this one particular verse and we see Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse 1. It says, when a man takes a wife and marries her, if then she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some indecency. Let's stop there for a second. I underlined, I, I underlined the word indecency for a reason. Because this is going to be very important that you understand this word uh, as it relates to what Jesus taught on divorce and remarriage. Because you'll see that this is the very word Hebrew scholars argued about. And rabbis had a huge debate about. What did they mean by the word indecency? And if you look at the Hebrew context of it, it it's, it's certainly um, very much, there, there's no hidden meaning here in the King James Version uh, where some of us have read that traditionally. It's uncleanliness. So you can see this can mean a lot of things. If he finds any uncleanliness in her or any indecency in her. And moving on to the rest of the passage, he writes her a certificate of divorce and he puts it in her hand and he sends her out of his house and she departs out of his house. That, my friends, is a very sad scripture uh, because you can only imagine how, how this fleshed out in many, many women's lives. So the law of Moses stated that if a man discovered something unclean about the woman he married, he could just write a piece of paper and send her off. And you have to understand that the reason this was given is not because the law was given and all of a sudden divorces started in the Old Testament. The truth is divorces were already happening. Uh, men who had complete authority over their wives... It's hard for us to even understand this was thousands of years ago, 4,000 years ago or 3,000 years ago. Uh, women were, did not even have close to the rights we have today. And so a man could just, for any reason, he, he would send the woman off. And so Moses instituted here in Deuteronomy 24.1, he said, okay, you can't do that unless you find something unclean about her. You, you, know, you can't just say, hey, I don't like you. You have to find something indecent. You have to find something unclean. And this is what would happen. When that would happen to a woman, she would, be, uh, she would be destitute for either starvation or prostitution. She, she, unless someone else married her, and, and, and the scripture there, we'll talk about that a little bit more, but, but really if a man wrote her off, said, here's your piece of paper, get out of my house, that lady was looking at a homelessness or prostitution. And so we see that early on in uh, the, the, the day of Hebrew law, this, and you have to understand what Deuteronomy is and what the Torah is. It's the way an ethnic group under Jehovah God is how they organize, is how they lived. It was their laws. It was their rules. And I want you to notice something that both, you're going to notice both in Deuteronomy 24 and in the passages we read in Matthew that the men did all the divorcing. In that context, it's not about the women didn't give divorce. Uh, and this is simply not, uh, just so you know, I'm not, so this is no indictment on, on women here. I'm just saying that 
We're talking about them right now. You with me? Okay. We're talking about the people who heard it. This was a completely male-centered initiation. I say that not to support that today. I'm saying that so you understand that females had no rights. They were under the uh, subjection to their husband, Uh, not just from a spiritual standpoint, but from an economic standpoint and from a practical standpoint and by the, the way people govern. That's just the way it was. This law in Deuteronomy 24.1 was there to protect women and to at least give them a, a, a reason, at least give them a reason not to be thrown out into the night for no, on no basis whatsoever. So I, I just want to say this, and, and it, feels, it feels almost ridiculous that I have to state this out loud. When, when I put this in my notes, I said, I can't believe I'm even having to say this right now. But If a woman is being abused, there is no biblical reason for her to stay in the home of that man. Because from the beginning, from the beginning, this law was to protect, protect a female from that. And if anyone ever uses the Bible to try to keep a woman in a relationship in which she is getting abused, that's a misuse of scripture. And it doesn't even make sense. It's not in the spirit of Jesus or the spirit of of Paul. So now let's go to Jesus' day. Because now that's the Old Testament context. But as we know, when Jesus comes, Jesus changes everything. And I want you to remember the Sermon on the Mount and the teaching of the Gospels. Jesus is getting the people away from just this outward activity, and he's calling people to the inward heart. He's, he's causing this very religious people, led by very religious people, uh, uh, religious leaders who were very strict. He's saying he's wanting them to look beyond just rules and regulations and look at the heart. And that's going to come out clearly. Uh, Let's go to Matthew chapter 5. And as you go to Matthew chapter 5, as we continue to talk about them, those who heard these scriptures, we're going to look at the main scriptures on divorce and remarriage today. There was a huge debate in that day over Deuteronomy 24.1, over that one word, what does it mean to be unclean? What does it mean uh, for, for someone to, to find a, the, the word, I think, in most of translations, indecent? What does that word mean? And some rabbis were very, very liberal. Because they're just like we have different denominations today. There were different rabbis who, who taught and interpreted the Torah different ways. And some of them had such ridiculous uh, interpretations as this. They would say if, if the wife burned the breakfast and that was indecent, you didn't like breakfast, you could write her off. Totally misapplying Deuteronomy 24.1. Totally missing God's heart on that. And, and totally uh, just missing out on that. And, and all of a sudden now, the certificate that Moses wrote had become this religious excuse For people not to do the hard work of marriage and not to keep the covenant before God that he wanted them to. And so now we see that we go to to Matthew chapter 5, verse 31. It says, it was also said, just as Jesus speaking, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. That is is Deuteronomy 24.1. Going on to, this is Matthew 5, verse 32. But I say to you, remember that's what Jesus would always say. He said, the law said this, but I say to you this, whoever divorces his wife, 
except on the ground of sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Jesus here is relifting the value of marriage. And in these complicated words, he's saying, yeah, you might have said that it's okay for Moses to write a, a, a letter, but I'm saying to you that I'm saying to you that you should never get a divorce. He's raising the standard in the people's eyes. He's raising this. Now remember, I'm talking about them right now. For yet, I'm going to come to us. I'm going to come to me in a second. But I'm talking about them. He, he, Jesus saying, I'm going to give you a different standard. I'm telling you, you guys are off base. This is wrong. You see, if you think about it, many times Jesus said very difficult words impossible words. Remember when he said, that Pharisee said, uh, you know, all that matters is that we don't commit adultery. And Jesus said, no, it's more than that. Because if you look at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery in your heart. Very in your face, tough words. He said to the rich young ruler, he said, you have to sell everything to follow me. He said to others, he said, you need to to pluck your eye out or cut your arm off. Are all those things, did, did he mean those literally? Obviously, I don't think so. What he was doing is he was pointing to sinfulness. And he's saying, hey, you religious people, you are sinners. Your heart is wrong. You need more than the law. You need more than rules and regulations. And I'm this rabbi and that rabbi. And I'm binding this and I'm loosing that. No, as as, as far as the Torah I'm talking about, not spiritual warfare. I'm binding this part of the Torah and I'm loosening that part of the Torah. You need more than that. You need a change of the heart. You need a change of the heart so you can come up with any excuse you want for divorce, but it's really a sin. And divorce really is a sin. And Jesus was trying to get the people to see that they needed him and they needed Jesus. He's trying to get them to see that this idea of no-fault divorce as it's, it's, it's um contained in Deuteronomy 24.1 is just not the case. Now, I do want to point out one other thing because this is important to correct a misconception. In verse 32, let's look at that again. And this is, this might be a whole other sermon sometime, but that word there on the grounds of sexual immorality is the word in the Greek porneia. It's where we get the word pornography, one of the places we get that. And it's certainly not talking just about pornography. It's talking about a wide scope of sexual sin. So Jesus rightly interpreted something. Uh, and he said that, he said this, he said, you know, so, sometimes we think it's just adultery or fornication because of other, other translations. But Jesus, I believe from my studies, is saying that it is a wide scope of habitual sexual sin. And here's a reason why. In Deuteronomy 22.22, we're not going to look at the screen on that, but Deuteronomy 22.22, if someone committed adultery, both a man or a woman, they were put to death. They were. That was the punishment. So if you go back to the uncleanliness in Deuteronomy 24.1, that wasn't talking just about adultery. It was talking about a wide scope of habitual sexual sin according to Jesus. Okay, so we're going to get back to that in a second. I just wanted you to, to know that way, Pornea. Now, listen, if you're listening to the podcast now or if you're, if you're thinking you got your sound bite and the sermon's over, just hang with me for a second because I am not, I'm just going to, I have to say this right now. I am not suggesting in the least that 
and involvement in any kind of sexual sin gives you a grounds for divorce. That's the whole thing that we're getting at. Uh, I think it has to be a habitual, long-term. I'm going to explain that a little further. Now let's go to Matthew chapter 19. See, I told you, now this stuff's not easy, is it? We're on a green, we're on a green or a black right now, uh, slope, using our analogy. But I love you guys too much just to give you easy sermons. I can give you, let's run to win sermon, you know, out of first grant, we're going to run to win. Yeah, I've preached a lot of those before, but you got to have some variety here. Okay. Matthew chapter 9 with verse 3. Now, here is another instance. The Pharisees came up to him and tested him. So here we are. The Pharisees are always trying to trap Jesus, always trying to trap him. And so they go to this very controversial subject in Deuteronomy 24.1. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And he answered. And, and this is where I want you to get the heart that Jesus has for your marriage. Is that what he had for their marriage? We're still in them, but it's a heart he has for your marriage. Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I want to note this predates the law. This is way before Deuteronomy, way before Leviticus, way before Exodus and even the Ten Commandments. At the beginning, God said the two become one. Verse 6, so they're no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, why, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce to send her away? Again, that's Deuteronomy 24.1. And now here's the heart of what Jesus was trying to accomplish. And it's here in verse 8. It says this, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And now he finishes this passage and says that, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality, again, that's porneia, and marries another, commits adultery. Let's go back to the previous slide because this is, I want you to get the heart of Jesus for you on this. It says, he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But that was not, from the beginning, it was not so. This, this is the issue. And this is the issue of, of sin for us. Is when we quit letting the Holy Spirit be involved in our decisions concerning our marriage. And we're so hard-hearted. And we quit so easily. And we give up. And we go around and we find excuses, even from sermons like this. Let me get my Greek word. And let me get my Hebrew lexicon. And let me figure out what Jesus really meant. As if we are going to find the magic phrase that will somehow excuse us from our covenant before God. And that's the wrong spirit. Jesus said, it's because your hardness of heart. When you don't have any room for God to redeem this marriage. No room for God to move in this marriage. No God, room for God to do something. And all you can do about it, for those of us who have been through a divorce and been through a divorce and remarriage, and I mean that for all of us, that's not been the case for me, but for, for those of you who've done that, all you can do is deal with the issue at hand right now. Wherever you are right now, whether you're married or divorced or remarried, where is your heart? Where is your heart? That's what Jesus points the mirror of the word in our face. And he says that. 
says, give me room, give me space, let me get involved. Divorce should not be this easy, casual uh, expression. We should not distort Deuteronomy 24.1 and just end the marriage for no reason, just for some hard times or just for some troubled times. Instead, we should be vigilant to save our marriages. Well, let's talk about reasons why marriages could end according to them when they heard the word. And we'll go back. I've already talked about this. I'm going to give you, these are not in your notes, but if you want to write them down, I, I intentionally put them, didn't put them in my notes. I didn't want people to find it on the internet and cut and paste and all that. But here, I'm going to give you three, three reasons, not the only reasons, but three reasons why I say that you could divorce and remarry. Um, and I've already referenced the one is this one, habitual sexual misconduct. It's really important. And if you're writing notes, I'd like to, would love you to even write those three words because they're carefully crafted. Habitual sexual misconduct. We know that it's a ten, according to the Ten Commandments, according to a plethora of scripture in the New Testament, that uh, sex is to happen just between one man and one woman in the context of marriage. No excuses. No excuses. That we, we, you know, I did a wedding yesterday like I do a lot and this young couple made a covenant before God and all the witnesses there to be devoted to one another for life. That's God's plan. That's God's way. You are one. No excuse. No excuse for that. You're not to be entangled emotionally, physically, in any other way with anyone other than your spouse. And that's, that's just the bottom line. Now, life happens. It's not an excuse. It's not an excuse. And I'm not condoning that, but I've worked with enough people over the years to know that things unfortunately happen and they do. I'm not one minute giving you a reason for that to happen. If you're, if you're even closely flirting with that concept, but I'm going to tell you this is that I want to be clear about this. Just because your spouse makes a mistake I do not believe that gives you just this clearance to run from the marriage just because you wanted to marry somebody else. I think that's a misuse of the word of God. Every situation is individual. Every situation uh, causes prayer and struggle. Every situation is tough. So you can't even take a statement that I make today and apply it to your life. You cannot even do that without counsel from whoever your pastor is and whoever your small group is and from the word of God. But all I'm saying is this, is that we, when we um, simplify this, like to, to say, well, if, if they commit adultery one time, the marriage is over. Or if they look at pornography one time, the marriage is over. Or they, they get in some emotional entanglement one time, the marriage is over. That could be an expression of our hard hardness. Now on the reverse, if that person is abusing the word of God and is getting in entanglements and disregarding their covenant, then they're the hard-hearted one. And I believe that habitual sexual sin, when a person is unwilling to repent of their sin, is unwilling to turn away from their sin, is unable to work on it, unwilling to work on it, unwilling to get help, unwilling, they love the other person they're entangled with more than their spouse. They love whatever, uh, whatever sexual sin is so much more that they're not going to work on it. 
then you can start praying about it and talking about it. Okay? Again, don't take any statement I make as this hard and fast rule. I'm just trying to give you the heart of the scripture here. So let's now go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Here's a second reason. Again, and not an exhaustive list. But when a divorce and remarriage occurs uh, before, prior to conversion, uh, certainly these rules would not apply. And the church in Corinth, where we're, we're going to hear some, read some of Paul's teaching on divorce and remarriage, is not unlike the church you and I are in today. In, in this way, vast numbers of Gentiles were coming into the church. Vast numbers of Gentiles were coming in, and their lives were messy. Uh, we know from the scripture that some of them uh, were even uh, male prostitutes. That's how messy things were. Uh, the scripture is clear about that. It says, some of you used to be this, and some of you used to be that. Some of you used to even be male prostitutes, but God has redeemed you and, and, and brought you back. So these were messy people, just like you and I have been. Messy in the sense that their, their lives weren't perfect. And no doubt there were a lot of people in the Corinth church who had been divorced and had been remarried. And I'm just going to be frank with you without, I mean, there's, we're obviously not going to name names, but there, there are a lot of people in this church in levels of leadership that have been divorced and remarried. And that's just what happens when we live in a world of sin. Depending on what level of leadership they're at, we vet that. I've had to ask some tough questions and had to have some uncomfortable conversations. But that's the messy world we live in. And that's true. For those of you who are married right now, that is in no way giving you a license to proceed in a divorce. But that's just saying for those who are on second marriages and beyond, or who are divorced now and would like to be married again, so you know that through God's grace, there is hope for that. And the, these, these scriptures we now go to, to, in the context in Corinth, that lots of unbelievers had become believers, and they had lots of messy lives, and they had they'd been divorced, and they'd been remarried. And so we see here that Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 12, To the rest I say, I not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, and she consents to live with them, he should not divorce her. Paul, like Jesus, is raising the standard of marriage. Grace raises the standard of marriage. It does not give a light. The law give a license to divorce. Grace raises the standard. And moving on to verse 13, it says, If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever, and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. Notice this is now to uh, Greek people. This is to Corinth was in Greece. And so without doing a whole lot of digging into this, evidently uh, they had uh, more rights for women. And so women were able to engage divorces, whereas obviously from the scriptures we know that the Jewish people were not able to do that. So here, here's what's obvious here is Paul is lifting the standard and he's saying this, okay, you new Christians, you love God, you're into Jesus, you're into the gospel, you're into the spiritual gifts, you're into all that, but you've got a husband or a wife who's not into it, you cannot divorce them just because they're unspiritual. And I want to be clear about that too. 
Because there's been situations before when a man or a woman, doesn't matter which gender, get into God and they're into the Holy Spirit and they're into church and they're into the things of God and their spouse isn't saved or isn't interested and certainly isn't to the level they are spiritually. And I just want to say that's not a biblical excuse to divorce. It truly isn't. That God wants you to stay in the marriage. Even if you're new to the faith and your spouse has no interest in the faith, Paul here encourages people to stay. So obviously, obviously, it's ludicrous to think this. Um, He does not strictly apply the law and say, all you people who are new Christians and you're divorced and remarried, you need to divorce again and go try to find your original marriage. I mean, that's obvious that's not the case here. These things that happen before conversion and these happen are just part of, of the sinful world we live in. It's not God's will. It's not God's plan. It's not his design, but it is what it is. Just like we suffer the consequences of sin for many, many different reasons. So it is here. So I would say that just, just to review, because these aren't in your notes, that reasons divorce and remarriage are permitted biblically for habitual sexual misconduct when the divorce occurred prior to marriage. And uh, let's go on and read 15. And says this, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved. There's a key word there. Now that word in other translations is they're not bound. They're not under bondage. Uh, that's in the King James, New American Standard. NIV says they're not bound. They're not enslaved. And this can be interpreted as uh, they are free to remarry. That's the way I interpret it. So, in other words, if you are in, you, you do not, as a Christian, initiate the divorce. You don't say, well, that person is, that person is unspiritual. I'm moving on. Uh, I, I'm acting in the, the I, I'm, I'm coming up with an excuse. No, you stay in there. But if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. And say, in such cases, the brother or sister, meaning the Christian, is not enslaved. God's called you to peace. Here's the third reason. That would be abandonment. So if you are abandoned by your partner, I believe that that would give you uh, grounds for a divorce and and a remarriage. So all of these things are are complicated. And I'm going to tell you something. This particular teaching, I'm only halfway done with it today took a lot of work on my part. And I read various denominations who had spent hours reading this and what they concluded. And went back and looked at the Hebrew text and the Greek text. And it was a very, it's been a very difficult teaching to present to you in a loving, redeeming, but honoring God's word and his holiness. It's tough. And that's how I want you to look at whatever situation you're in. Whatever situation, it should not be, you should not just walk away from a marriage and enter a new marriage flippantly. That's completely against the heart of Jesus and what he wants you to do. So let's talk about about us now. Let's talk about us. As I told you before, it would be a lot easier for me and for you if if the, the Bible, you could just look and two plus two always equaled four. It just, the Bible just doesn't always work out that way. I grew up being told it did. 
And, and I wish the Bible is our source. I believe it's inerrant, infallible, our only source of truth. I understand that. But if you really start studying it, sometimes things can be difficult. And I, I think we need to understand this is that we're talking about the laws of a Hebrew people that have existed for 4,000 years. This group of people have existed for 4,000 years. We, as a country who considers ourselves a melting pot, we've existed 230 years. All right, do you see the difference here? And as we apply these scriptures to our life, which we should, the scriptures are our only source of truth, we have, to, we have to make note that things are so different. They're not better, they're actually worse in some ways, but they're so different today. One I've already referenced. Let's talk about women's rights. Over the last 100 years, I think it's hard to relate what it was like to be a female prior to 100 years ago. And within the last 100 years, going from in our country, using that as a context, as women did not even have the right to vote until the 1920s, and, and we've been on a, uh, on, a, uh, on a race. For some, it might be slow. For some, it might be fast as, as women are, are gaining new rights. And so as we look at these scriptures and understand that it was very different for a female back then. And then the dating process was completely different. For people who read these scriptures, both in Deuteronomy 24 and Matthew 5 and Matthew 19 and 1 Corinthians 7, they could not even relate to the way we court today because we court today completely individually. A man calls a woman up or he goes on the internet and meets her somewhere and it's all about the two of them. In the context of the scripture, it was about the clan, the family, getting the father's approval, the community made the decision together. Again, a total different context than what we have today. The other thing that's very, very different is when people get married. Today, and when this was written, people got married uh, in their early, teen, early teens to late teens. Nowadays, we see, even in our lifetime, a huge increase in the last 30 to 40 years. Uh, most people, I don't have the hard statistics, but they're usually inaccurate anyway, hard statistics, but you know from observation People aren't getting married now until the late 20s, many until their 30s. Completely changes the nature of, of how we approach marriage. So I'm hearing the part about us. And I'm just going to tell you that us, we're really messed up. So before we start picking apart the scripture and saying it's old-fashioned and we've got it down, I, I just want to talk about us for a second. And I'm going to give you some statistics that you've heard before, but you need to hear it under the gravity of the spirit right now. Uh, 50% of all first marriages end in divorce. That means one out of every two marriages that, that I perform will end in a divorce. And here's the part that you don't hear as much. Out of second marriages, 67% of second marriages end in a divorce. Third marriages, 73% of marriages end in divorce. Beyond that, I don't know if anyone's done the statistics beyond that, but we, we got some problems. Now, let's talk about this within the church. Roughly 25% of American adults have been through a divorce. Uh, do you know how many have been in, through a divorce? Again, 25% of American adults among evangelical Christians, it's 27%. Now, I know a lot of you are Baptists, and we love the Baptists, and, 
we're not picking on them, but they're the biggest denomination, uh, the Southern Baptists are, and then all of their, all of the other different Baptists and a Baptist roots. 29% of Baptists have been divorced. So let's think about this for a second. 25% of adults in America have been divorced. 27% of evangelicals of which we are, which is a very broad definition. 29% of Baptists. Now, if I were to ask you, and you know, what state has the highest per capita, the lowest per capita of divorce in America? Well, we might think somewhere like Tennessee or Alabama or Texas, where there's churches everywhere. It's the Bible Belt. But to answer the question of this, what state has the lowest per capita amount of divorces? It's Massachusetts. It's Massachusetts. No, no disrespect to Massachusetts. You know, we love the Red Sox and it's a, we love uh, what Boston's meant to our nation. But it's not traditionally known as a fervent religious area. So it's true that here in the South, among evangelicals, our divorce rate is higher than it is in the world. So us, we, we have an issue here. We, we have a problem here. And that's why we need the help of the Lord. I, I state all of this is because I'm, I'm here today. I'm here today to let you know that God loves you. And there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you're not eternally condemned. Condemned means you're under a death sentence, and that's not the case. Okay? But let's get down to me right now. And it could be you. Last category is me. How, how does this work? How does this work? I've already told you there's no easy answers to any of these questions. But I'm going to tell you some things that I believe that by the Spirit, He wants you to hear today. And the first word that I want you, won't be in your notes, but here's the first word I want you to know is the word stay. I want to tell you something. I know with all my heart, the word of God says, the spirit of Moses, which is just a man, so I'm not equating him to, but let me just rephrase that, the teachings of Moses. So I'm going to rephrase, I'm going to start that over again. I'm going to tell you this, the teachings of Moses, the teachings of Jesus, the spirit of Jesus, the heart of the Bible, the context of the Bible is all saying this. If you are married in this room, stay married. That's what God wants you to hear. God doesn't, God wants you to stay. God wants you to have it in your mindset that you are in a permanent relationship that as long as you both shall live, you're going to stay in that marriage and you're going to work to that marriage. I have talked to a lot of friends, most of them in this church, who've been married a lot longer than me. I've been, I'll, be, I'll have my 14th anniversary next month. So I'm getting down the road, but I'm not down the road as much as some of you. I have never known a marriage that's lasted for a significant amount of time that did not have a dark season, that didn't, that didn't fight through, didn't work through, didn't have some tough times didn't have some adversity. So the second word I want to give you is this word, fight. I want you to stay, and I want you to fight. I want you to fight for your marriage. I want you to fight for God's plan. I want you to 
Make sure you're engaged and you're not becoming hard-hearted, like Jesus said. Disregarding your spouse. I don't care anymore. I'm checked out. I'm done with this. I'm done trying. Hard-heartedness. That's the root of divorce. And that's, for all of us, that's the sin of divorce. And I want to say this, for those of you who are in the process of a divorce or you, you are considering that or your first spouse hasn't remarried and there's still some hope of reconciliation some way it doesn't fall in some of those categories I mentioned before I want to say to you is to fight try to save that marriage don't be full of pride because pride is what I see happen so many times. So many times people have pride and they don't want to humble themselves and they don't want to fight. They don't want to try to make the marriage last. And then they come and the divorce is finalized and the other spouse moves on and they wish they would have fought when they had a chance. If you still have a chance, fight for the marriage you have now. If you're in the process of a divorce, you're not divorced yet. Keep fighting. Give God one little window. Give God one little sliver of hope and let his miraculous power come in. I believe that's what the heart of the scripture says. Here's the third thing I want to say is choose slowly and choose wisely. Choose slowly and choose wisely. And I I want to say this, and this gets down to the answer to the question. If you're a victim of divorce... Meaning you didn't want to be, you didn't want to have divorce, but your spouse chose that and you feel like there's nothing you can do. Are you free to remarry? Yes, you are. I believe you are. So you are free to remarry if you're a victim of divorce. If you're a protagonist to the divorce, meaning it's your infidelity or your adultery or your abandonment or your actions that caused the divorce, I believe that whatever point you is, you should fight to try to redeem that marriage. And if you ever choose to re-engage in an additional marriage, it, you need to do it slowly under the count, godly counsel. You need to do it wisely. And I can't answer that question for you. You're going to have to answer that question between you and God. You really are. You're going to have to answer that question. And that's what community's about. It's about walking through that. All I'm saying is, Make it slow. Make it wise. Don't rush. Repentance means you were walking one way, and now you're going to walk a different way. And if you were the protagonist to the divorce, and it was your actions that, you know, divorce is usually always two people's fault, but you're, the cloud often, for biblical reasons, falls on one person. And your, your sin caused it. Then... I'm just imploring you before the Lord, don't enter another marriage without prayerful consideration of who you are, why that happened, and make sure that never happens again. And beyond that, the Lord will have to speak to you. And the scriptures will have to speak to you. Now, if you're single, if you're single, I love our single people here. I want to remind you of something. There's something much worse than not being married, and that's to be in a bad marriage. And you have an opportunity to choose wisely and choose slowly and not to get in a rush. Why? Because God cares about marriages. And his heart today is he cares about marriages and he cares about you. And he wants to be involved. 
We cannot be a religious people like the Pharisees were with all our little rules of why you can and can't get a divorce and to not just be like the world, but to be worse statistically than the world. That's nonsense. That means something's wrong with our hearts. Here's a good thing. The reason Jesus pointed something's wrong with our hearts, unlike so many people who just point out what's wrong with us and never gives a solution, he gives a solution. He's a solution. And he's here. And he loves you. And here's what I want you to hear from him today. I want you to hear that God, Jesus wants to move you forward. Jesus wants you to have wisdom for the future. And no matter where you are on this process, he loves you. He loves you. And I'm going to tell you this right now. I gave you some tough statistics about second marriages and third marriages. But I'm going to tell you the statistics don't apply at this church when we're led by the Spirit of God. I, Whatever situation you find yourself in now, God wants your marriage to succeed now. He wants to cause the best to come from it now. He wants you to be faithful to your spouse. He wants you to work through the hard times. He wants you to be worked through the difficult times. He wants you... To not be hard-hearted, but to allow his spirit to come in and speak to you on a regular basis and to touch you. Let's pray about that. Let's pray about that. The Lord wants you to know you're loved today. And here, here's, here's the truth. If the Lord didn't love you, he would not have exposed you to a message like this. It's the truth. The Lord, the Lord loves you. You see... Being in a loving relationship with God doesn't mean it always feels good. It means it's the right thing. It's the right thing. And he wants you to know this. It's his standard. It's his standard. We're, We're like that Corinthian church. I know. I know this from statistics. And I know this from relationship. I know people here in this room have been divorced, have been remarried and Now God is redeeming bad situations and he's causing good to come through blended families. And he's causing good things to come through people who are faithful. And God, our God, is a miraculous working God. And if you give him room, he wants to work in your marriage and he wants to slip into where the gaps are. And he wants to be there. And he wants your marriage to be greater than you imagine. Singles, he wants your marriage to be great. He doesn't want you. He doesn't want you to make decisions based off what the world does, just based off purely physical attraction, purely monetary reasons. No, God wants you to find a woman or a man of character and integrity. That's what he wants from us. That's what he wants from us. So I'm gonna pray about this issue and we're gonna close this issue out. So in Jesus' name, I speak life to marriages here. Father, thank you, Lord, that I pray specifically for our empty nesters. They've raised kids, they're year 30, they're year 40. The enemy wants to steal what God has established, but he will not in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, I pray over those marriages that have many years behind them. The Lord says many more years ahead, many more. You stay, you fight, you are dedicated to what God has established within you. I thank you, Lord, that God in second families, in blended families, you are establishing righteousness. You are establishing kingdom reign. You are causing something beautiful to come out of something that 
in the natural could appear ugly. And so, Father, thank you for our current marriages, Lord. They will last. They will go the distance. We're not victims of statistics because, Lord, we are overcomers. You've made us overcomers, that we overcome every challenge you've placed within us. And we love you and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. In Jesus' name we pray. Well, let's stand together. Thank you for listening to the podcast of The Church of Indian Lake. 